expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. We'll give you consumer health. Um, and you see it, I think, on a, on a daily basis in terms of the way spending is happening, the mechanisms people are using, whether they're extending credit, whether they're struggling to pay their answers. Paint a picture for me, please, Bongiba, on consumer health, if you will. Uh, certainly. I mean, again, um, COVID is showing a lot of things that were already uh, in the system. You know, as I said, the macros were already under pressure globally as well. So over the years, TFG, we've just reduced um, our credit offering uh, to customers. Our acceptance rates used to run at about 56%, say, three years ago. Over the past um, few years, we've much drop them down year on year. Last year, we, acceptance rates were 36%. This year, we've brought them right down to even single digits, you know, because again, uh, the consumer was under pressure. And also, uh, Bruce, uh, I must also add uh, the cash growth in our stores has continu- continually increased. So we have not really been under pressure to offer um, credit uh, to boost uh, our sales. But having said that, yeah, it has an impact on sales and um, we have cut it down significantly. And then collections as well, uh, there's active mechanisms that we've done to entice the customers uh, to pay. You know, just to also paint the picture for you, pre-COVID, uh, 90% of our store customers paid in stores, so physically paid in stores. And we encourage that because obviously it provides an opportunity to on-sell to the customer. And when COVID hit, we had to actively look at digital platforms, working with the likes of the APSAs to encourage and a lot of other service providers to encourage the customers to pay digitally and using digital means. And also work with food retailers that were open through various partnership with things that we adopted. So yeah, we sit today with provisions as well. Also, IFRS 9 came into effect which again um, placed a lot of emphasis on providing for debt uh, upfront. So it requires you that when you sign up credit, in immediately you then raise a provision based on uh, the health of what you think the health of that customer um, is in terms of uh, repaying the debt, the risk is. So all of those factors made us over the years start reducing our reliance on credit sales and encourage and reward uh, cash payments and and obviously uh, uh, buys and, um, and 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 customers to actively pay their accounts and keep them uh, current, but definitely definitely under pressure. You've seen the results from a lot of banks uh, in the past few months. A lot of bad debts, right? Of increasing provisions, and I think that's not going to change uh, for a while. And uh, um, um, the, the reality of the times. Uh, Brent has a question for you, Bongi. We're saying, do you foresee your business increasing investment in e-commerce? platforms. I think that's inevitable, isn't it? Inevitable. Like I said, we were spending, uh, just to give you some color in terms of numbers, year on year, we've spent at least a billion, 1.2 billion in CapEx, even in a downward cycle, you know, because we knew uh, that um, a lot of that um, uh, investment will come to bear and help us in future, as we knew that it's a matter of time. We see in our international businesses that uh, e-commerce had a critical role to play and the online was growing uh, significantly uh, uh, overseas. So we've invested throughout the cycle. We'll continue to invest. A lot of our CapEx, 75% year on year has been an expansionary type of CapEx. 
e-com platforms and i think will continue uh, to enhance and that's what has helped us to be quite honest um in times like this that we're able to switch on uh, we're ready we're, we're ready to to handle um the demand on online um uh, platforms in times like this so certainly we'll spend more definitely mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, Evan Walker, delivery was a nightmare at the beginning of lockdown. Suddenly there was this huge surge in demand and everyone with a with a motor and, and, and a skadonk of a car suddenly turned into delivery person and you would see people going through the streets and going and dropping off boxes of people's houses. And it was a, a really great example, I guess, of how adaptable people are in a time of crisis. One wonders just how well we've actually coped. I mean, is there any data to back it up, Evan, or Isana, if you can contribute on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, Bruce, I think, I think it is evolving. I mean, there's no doubt that we, there was a flurry. Uh, every uh, Uber driver, every scooter was used in the, in, the, in the mechanisms up front. I think guys will sort it out. I mean, I don't think that's the big issue. I think, you know, we will get that sorted. For a lot of people in a lot of places, obviously just drop-offs and times and, uh, you know, every time I schedule a time, I'm never there. I mean, when it arrives, I'm never at home and uh, and no one's there to accept it. So it's a little frustrating. But, I mean, if you are there all the time or all night, then it's probably a little easier. But, yeah, I think I think it's going to work out over time. But these, these are, there's a lot of a lot of nuances to this online that still needs to be sorted out. And uh, uh, and it's a, just a mammoth, mammoth discovery for most retailers. I think I spotted the problem, Evan. I'm not sure it's the retailers. Um, it's not... <laughs> It could be, it could be my <laughs> IT skills, Bruce. <laughs> we concur with, with Evan's analysis you know, in terms of the reverse logistics. And this idea of reverse logistics is really important because you're going to be reluctant to buy online if the return process is difficult. And there are countries which are far more involved than we are in terms of delivery and the returns. What, what, what's the researcher telling you about South Africa, Sana? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, but return logistics is one thing. I think to, first to get your customer to just trust the system enough so that they become a, a, a comeback customer every month. I think that's where data is going to play a big role. And um, Bruce, because I bet you when you go to Woolworths every month or every week, in your case, maybe every day, you buy the same uh, items over and over. Now, imagine your retailer of choice starts getting your behavior correct. And they do because they have loyalty cards, right? So they can see this is Bruce. He buys bananas every Saturday together with his milks and his <laughs> eggs and I don't know, whatever caviar or fancy stuff you like. Then you can start having a predictive model and say, this is your shopping cart. Um, can Do you want to change something? This is your normal delivery slot. Are you happy with this? Can we deliver for you? So I think that is the kind of things retailers, especially in the food and the more uh, consumable um, places, need to start thinking about. How can they start um, adjusting their models to predictively serve their customers as well and not just be a responsive um, retailer? In the clothing space, I think it's more about understanding um, who your retail, who your client is, getting the sizing right, and exactly what you say. If it doesn't work, have your logistics set up so it's easy to turn. I've actually had opposite um, experiences than even I. I find very good <laughs> return um, experiences with big retailers. So I think you know it's just about getting lo the logistics right. I think partnerships is going to be very important. And I think in South Africa, retailers tend not to want to partner with their own kind. 
But when it comes to sharing logistics and sharing that experience, there is a there is a there is a big benefit than learning to learn from each other's mistakes, um, leverage each other's already systems that's in place. And you know what? I think as South Africans and corporates, the market is big enough, but they're gonna have to start thinking about working togetherly. Even things like warehousing, um, just you know, make it easier for for this as well. Don't tell Ibrahim Patel. Uh, but Antti, I mean, how much of that stuff is happening? <laughs> oh, yeah, then. Uh, no, Bruce, I've got a totally different view to us on it. Um, we're very happy to learn from our competitors' mistakes. We do that all day, every day, and so, uh, you know, it puts a smile on my face. Um, the reality, though, is you actually want to fight out a competitive advantage. Um, so, you know, and I think uh, the, good, the, the good minister would agree with me on this. Um, if you can fight out a competitive advantage, it actually forces other people follow and become more efficient themselves. Um, you know, you go back to the warehousing piece again, we get into a stage where, you know, I can foresee in the next 12 months, we probably won't have an online DC in the country. Um, we'll probably fulfill entirely from us for the network. Um, and again, it's it's keeping on pushing with the technology. You know, just going to the data piece, um, one of the things that we've launched recently, we've moved actually, it's, it's also fascinating how quickly some of the trends move. We've gone from running websites by various brands um, ready to having apps for your smartphone. Um, internationally, you know, 70% of e-commerce, so certainly clothing e-commerce is now shopping apps. We launched a couple over the last few months. Um, one of the functions in it um, across the apps is you can take a photograph of Bruce the way he's dressed at the moment um, on your screen. It'll catalog that photograph against every single product we've got across all of our brands in South Africa. It'll come up with five or six different checked shirts, new blazers, um, different price points, different brands, and make suggestions based on things both in the photo and that you bought in the past. So that personalization is going to become absolutely fundamental, both in clothing um, as much as it might be in the, in the food retail space as well. If we've seen exponential growth, and I think we wrap up this afternoon, if we've seen exponential growth in online and we're seeing some very real shifts, partly driven by economics, partly driven by society, partly driven by the fact that um, we're becoming more digitally connected than ever before. If we've had this huge progress in a relatively short period of time and it's been forced upon us, are we going to see that exponential growth curve? Do we see it continue? I, I wonder. Um, and I wonder what your business looks like five years from now. Maybe Vaughan, I mean, you guys have, have been through through hell and back. You've had been boxing with both hands tied behind your back for much of the last six months. Are there going to be fundamental shifts and things that have happened to you over the last six months that are going to determine across this African continent in particular um, the way in which your business is going to evolve? Let's put it a five-year time frame. How is it going to change? I think one of our um, learnings around e-commerce is that only about four or five percent of South Africans um, have bought alcohol online. So it is a, a significantly small portion. Um, however, where we have seen a great acceleration is on the business to business side. Um, so creating technologies that help our retailers optimize their revenue through algorithmic selling and, and using AI to to uh, determine what the, the right order quantities and basket sizes should be for, for these retailers. 
And I think that that's an area where um, I think we can extract massive value, but also create some value for our retailers. So that, that's been a, a big shift for us. Uh, Boogie, we're from, from your perspective, uh, and I'd be interested to see whether or not you're on the same page as this, and I'm hoping Anthony just won't, won't just be polite and say, yes, she's absolutely right. Um, <laughs> the evolution of the community group business over the next five years? Look, Bruce, I think it's going to be challenging. Um, I think we're on the right track, we're on the right journey. Obviously, the acquisition of Jacked and a, a large proportion of our local manufacturing places us in a very good stead to be able to competitively uh, gain market shares continually um, in the next five years. You know, uh, we've geared up balance sheet, uh, sorry, we've uh, strengthened our balance sheet and shored it up and uh, um, there's opportunities. So, you know, while it's uh, probably uh, challenging, I think there's a lot of opportunities and I think that uh, we are very well poised with a strong balance sheet, strong cash, free cash flow. Um, and, and obviously a large proportion of our local um, manufacturing for apparel. I mean, I think, I think we, we said earlier on, we manufacture at least 20-25% uh, of our uh, apparel um, locally. We see that expanding significantly. Uh, yeah, and, and consumer behavior, we watch it, uh, I think, less and less credit and more and more cash sales. And I think uh, also authenticity, you know, customers are going to look for um, support businesses that are authentic, that um, think about the consumer and, um, and, 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 and so on. And I think TFG is quite well poised uh, for that, you know, to take advantage uh, of them. That's the finance director's response from a, a look and feel <laughs> perspective. Um, how do we change over the next five years? I've learned tonight, one is the CEO should never disagree with the CFO, and the CFO's job is to make sure the CEO has money. So as long as you get those two right, so you're off to, off, you know, off to the races. Um, I think what Bongiwe didn't answer was um, where, where do we see online going and, and that landscape? Um, and again, I'll probably be more than, yeah, maybe I'll be proof wrong, but I doubt it. Um, you know, we'd originally, going back a year, a year or so ago, we thought we'd be 5% of online turnover, or 5% of our turnover in South Africa would be online by 25. Uh, conservatively, that's going to be more than 10%. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it's more than 15%. So I think it, I think it moves that quickly. Um, for all the reasons we've already discussed on the show, once you're there and once you're used to it, once you've got trust in the system, um, I think it, it really does ramp up exponentially. You might have a bit of a softening um, over the next month or so as people start to wander back into shopping malls. But again, it's behavioural. Um, it's just too convenient. The systems are getting too good. It's, you know, it's why I wouldn't you? Very good. Evan Walker, your crystal ball. At what, do you ever get back into being interested in investing in the sector, I wonder? Yeah, Bruce, as I said to you, you know, from, a, from, a, from an actual industry perspective, I think the sector is looking very interesting. You know, unfortunately... The biggest single headwind we've got in South Africa at the moment is just the expense of our public sector wage bill, which unfortunately doesn't come down dramatically in the next three years. We'll be looking at a currency north of 30 to the dollar and a bond rate of 20. So, you know, um, you know, we've got this big, big single headwind in South Africa now, and that's called the public sector wage bill, which is unsustainable. And it needs to be curtailed over the next five years. Otherwise, we haven't got a domestic economy. It's as simple as that. It's just got way out of proportion. But from an actual industry perspective, uh, as I said to you, you know, what's happening on the floor now, um, and the likes of Fashini and these retailers really have the upper hand. They need to create more and more flexibility in their businesses. Uh, we've seen the likes of Anthony and Fashini obviously reduce their lease times. 
You know, I wouldn't like to be a landlord in the South African market for the next five years. I think these retailers are going to be brutal. And, uh, and I think they should be. You know, they had 20 years of uninterrupted growth. Um, and to the extent that we see some of these prices they charge in some of these malls per square meter, I think are still horrendous. So, you know, good luck to these guys, but I certainly hope they give the landlords a tough time. And I think it's all about flexibility in their businesses. They're doing exactly the right things. Um, it's just un it's just unfortunately now that we need to turn to return to growth, Bruce, and we know that. We talk about it on your show all the time, and we need jobs, 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 and more jobs, you know. And the ability to create those jobs is going to come about, you know, if we see this initial pain from a reduction in our public sector wage bill and an ability for this country to transform itself back to spending on roads and infrastructure, et cetera, and the corruption that you talk about so often on your show. So, you know, I think it's there, and I think the industry is moving in the, in, in, in the right way. I mean, this is – but it's probably going to take another two, three years of pain. Uh, but certainly, you know, Bruce, we look out for consolidation in industries because industries – you know, we, we didn't invest in the platinum sector for 10 years until two years ago when we thought there'd been enough pain. And it's likewise in the retail space. We're looking and we like pain, Bruce, because the more pain these retailers go through, the, the more the more their, their longstanding shareholders will capitulate. OK, and we'll be there to buy their shares and hopefully we'll buy them at the right time when this country can transform itself. And I still am of the optimistic view that we can transform this SA economy back to growth. So I am I'm definitely on the side and waiting and. And actually, we did take a lot of Fashini shares in their placement a little while ago. So I think we've sold them all already at 90 Rand, and they're back at 80 today. But we'll certainly be back and buying them again because we like the story. Um, that, that, that was a, that was a good uh, uh, that was a good uh, preach. Thank you very much, Evan Walker. Uh, from you, Asana Cordia, wrap it up for us if you would, uh, with your perspective, please, as to what the sector looks like five years from now. Is it a, a short-term horror show with? Uh, with with the recovery coming into the future? Bruce, I'm also like Evan, um, choosing to be optimistic. Um, I do think um, the one thing we take out of COVID is that um, we got a huge shock to the system. And what happens when there's a shock to the system is hopefully people wake up and realize that we have been in a very bad space for quite a while. For reasons that I think Evan went into, um, we need more jobs jobs in different industries, in industries where it's needed. We need to bring manufacturing back to South Africa. We need to look after our own economy and our consumers' health. We need to um, make sure we understand um, the health of the consumer and be um, socially responsible in how we serve our consumers. And as APSA, we are committed to, to our clients and a big part of our clients is our retailers. And through this COVID period, we've supported them. We've seen them um, work very hard to understand how they're going to cope, and they've done that very well. And we are proud to say that we've partnered with them, and we will continue to partner with South African corporates and in and the retail sector because we do believe in South Africa and the economy, and we think it will recover. But it is going to be tough, and I think next year is going to be particularly tough. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.